Welcome to the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the nationally recognized preferred provider for asset protection and tax planning in the nation. This show is for real estate investors looking to protect their assets, save on taxes, and build their wealth with Clint Coons. Clint is an attorney, author, avid real estate investor, and featured instructor at Anderson's tax and asset protection events held throughout the country. Enjoy the show. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, it's Clint Coons here. And in this video, what I want to cover is cost segregation. Now, you've heard me talk about it in many of my videos as one of the best tax strategies for anybody that's in real estate investing, short-term rentals. If you want to create losses to you and use those losses to offset active income, passive income, there are strategies that are available to you if you take advantage of this unique aspect of owning real estate. Now, there's only, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that talk about it, but there's a few people that I know that actually do it and do it really well. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to bring on someone that I've been using in my own real estate investing to help keep my taxes as low as possible. And this individual, his name is Eric Oliver. And today we're going to talk about how you can use cost seg on your properties, many different types of properties, accusing residential real estate to reduce your income taxes. Eric, how are you doing? Good, how are you, Clint? I'm doing well. So you're managing director of Cost Seg Authority, right? Yeah, correct. How'd you fall into that position? You know, I, I have a my degree's in accounting. I'm actually not a CPA myself, but my degree is in accounting. And so um, numbers have always come easy. And as a, an investor, I just kind of fell into it. I actually did cost segregation on one of my properties and realized the value of it, realized it was an under, underutilized resource out there. And so kind of fell into it that way. Wow. All right. So we've been talking about this and I'm sure some people watching me right now going, what the hell is Clint talking about a cost seg? Could you explain it for people what a cost segregation is, how it works? Cost segregation, really, it's just accelerated depreciation. So we all get into real estate. One of the benefits of getting into real estate is being able to depreciate our assets. So residential assets typically depreciate over 27 and a half years, commercial over 39 years. Cost segregation is just accelerating those deductions. Instead of taking 127th over the next 27 and a half years, what if I could get 30% of those deductions in year one? And the way it's done is through a cost segregation study where basically segregating your purchase price into different buckets. So you've got your five-year, seven-year, and 15-year assets. And the IRS, for example, says carpet should be depreciated over five years instead of 27 and a half years, which, which makes sense, Clint. Carpet doesn't last 27 and a half years. So yeah. by doing a cost seg, we put these out or we allocate those costs into different buckets, which allows us to front load essentially our depreciation and take the deductions much sooner than 27 and a half or 39 years. So to break this down, because you're at this higher level, what we're saying is that when you look at a house, everyone just says, oh, it's just a property. It's one structure. You depreciate it over 27 years. It's all on the same schedule. But in reality is there's things in your house that wear out much sooner. It's like a car, right? Your car may last for 30 years, but the tires need to be replaced in five. The oil needs to be changed every year. Your transmission's going to go out. So you're taking those individual components. You're saying, rather than the fact that this thing could last 30 years, let's look at what the reality is and then speed up the deductions for people. Yep, that's exactly right. You, you know, when you think about buying a house, for example, or let's say a residential rental, single family, you're not just buying the walls and the land. You're also buying some appliances, some countertops, some cabinets. And again, the IRS says that stuff doesn't last 27 and a half years. So by allocating costs... To those different categories, it allows you to accelerate those deductions. 
Okay, so let's get into some real numbers here, examples yeah. of what this means to the, the viewer right now who's a real estate investor and they have residential real estate. Because I think some people have heard about this you know, in the commercial context, but for my client or people that watch this, this by my channel, I mean, residential is big. And I mean, I have a lot of residential. So how does that work? If you give me an example of that. So there's kind of a misconception out there that, you know, in the past, cost segregation was only for really large properties, really large commercial properties. A couple of reasons for that. One is the fees were a lot higher. You're talking $20,000 to get one of these studies done. And so you better have a million dollar asset to absorb those costs. Nowadays, with some of the laws that have been passed, there's uh, something called bonus depreciation that was part of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. That really put what we do on steroids. And so the benefits are bigger, the fees are less. And so now it absolutely applies to folks who own residential rentals. Just to give you a quick example, let's say you buy a $200,000 single family home. You take the land value out of that because land is not depreciable. So let's say 20%. So you're at 160 in depreciable basis. You know, a typical cost segregation study is going to land somewhere around 30% segregation, which means you're going to have a $45,000 deduction in year one. So you take that times your tax bracket. If you're in a 30% tax bracket times 45,000, that's a $15,000 tax savings in year one on a study that might cost you, you know, $2,200 to complete the study. Wow. So it definitely applies to the, uh, to the smaller investor, those who are investing in single family rental at this stage. So what you just said, that's one property. But if I right. had five properties, now we're you know $225,000 in deductions. Those are real numbers now that we're looking at as far as what you can be writing off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're with the, the tax, like I mentioned, the bonus depreciation, it's we're creating deductions now that people can't utilize. And so one of the nice things is, is that if you can't utilize those deductions, they do carry forward. You never lose them. But you know. The deductions are just so massive right now with the tax law, the way it is, you know, it's all part of the tax cuts and jobs. Like, like I mentioned with Trump. And as you guys know, he's a real estate investor. He doesn't want to show his tax return for a reason. He's not paying any taxes. It's because he owns real estate. He's doing cost segregation. So he's offsetting his income by doing cost segregation and creating these massive deductions on, on, his, in, on his real estate that offsets the income. Okay. So a question I get a lot from individuals is, you know, do you have to buy the property brand new to take advantage of this? Or how, you know, can I have owned it for three years or even 10 years? Yeah. Um, the nice thing is the IRS actually allows you to go back and do a study you've owned in prior years that have been on previous tax returns without amending any tax returns. So there's a, a form that's a 3115 tax form. Um, but basically that form tells the IRS, hey, I've been taking my straight line deductions over the last three or four years. I'm now accelerating those deductions. And the difference between those two numbers, you get to drop on your current tax return without amending any returns. So oftentimes, like you were talking about the single family rentals, those are great candidates if you've owned it for four or five years, because you're getting four or five years worth of missed depreciation and dropping it on your current tax return without, like I said, having to amend anything. Yeah. So you're, so you're going back and you're saying, hey, for the past five years, I've been screwing it up because I didn't know Eric. And I'm going to take all that now. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's funny because actually on that tax form, we check a box that says impermissible method to permissible, which basically is telling the IRS I've been doing it wrong and I want to fix it now. Now, the IRS isn't going to tell you you're doing it wrong and say, hey, you haven't been taking enough depreciation. You know, They're not going to come tell you that, but it's essentially what you're doing. You're depreciating your carpet, for example, over 27 and a half years. And the IRS says that's a five-year asset. So you're basically fixing your depreciation by submitting that form. Like I said, the nice thing is it allows you to do that without having to amend any returns. 
Yeah, I've seen several comments from CPAs, tax attorneys, you know, reading articles where they take the position you're required to do this yeah. on your, your residential real estate because those are different depreciable assets and you can't take them over 27 and a half years and you should be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you're doing it wrong if you're just taking a building and depreciating the whole thing over 27 and a half or 39 years. Technically, that's wrong because you, when you bought that asset, you bought carpet, you bought auxiliary lighting, you bought a driveway, you bought landscaping. All that stuff should be depreciated over the correct asset life. And that's what a cost sake study does is put those into the correct asset lives. And enhance that allows you to accelerate those deductions. Yeah. Now I just heard some of the things that you guys look at when you're going through that in order to create these deductions. You, you talked about here are the components. I heard you say landscaping, carpet. How about countertops? Countertops. Yep. What are some of the other ones that we would look at? Yeah. So kind of your five-year assets are a lot of your interior stuff, things like um, countertops, cabinets, flooring, window coverings. Interestingly enough, the electrical going to your appliances. So a lot of times people think, well, my my washer and dryer is a five-year asset. But when you have a cost-sake study done, we actually take the electrical work going into your laundry room because the only reason you've got electrical work going into your laundry room is for a five-year asset. So the IRS says, that well, that electrical work can be associated with that five-year asset and you can depreciate that electrical work over five years. So same thing when you think about like multifamily, think of how many appliances, how many of the electrical, how much of the conduit going into the unit is for Mm -hmm. personal property, things like ceiling fans, garbage disposals, washers and dryers, dishwashers. So when you start allocating that electrical work plus the things like washers and dryers, um, it, it makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, those add up. So the thing about this that I hope people understand is that when we're talking about creating these losses, they're going to flow down on your tax return and they're going to be typically passive losses that you can use to offset your passive income that comes from your rents, from all your properties. Now, if you qualify as a real estate professional or you're in the short-term rental game, you can actually take these losses if you meet the qualifications and material participation. You can watch my videos on that. At the end of the video here, I'll have links to those. But if you meet that, then you can use these losses to offset your active income as well, correct? Correct. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. We see that a lot with professionals. You know, you think about, we work with a lot of um, dentists or doctors. If, you know, they've got high W-2 income, but they don't really classify themselves as real estate professionals. Oftentimes they'll either have their spouse qualify and manage the properties, or they'll get into the short-term rentals like you mentioned. And all of a sudden we do a cost seg study on it. We create a $300,000 deduction that goes to offset their W-2 doctor income. Yeah. It's really the, what I tell people is that it becomes your down payment. I mean, you, you, put, <laughs> you put money in to buy this property and the IRS is giving you the money right back. It's right. like properties for free then. It is, especially if you leverage it with debt. So, you know, mm-hmm. I ran some analysis the other day for a client who was looking at some syndication and they wanted to share with their investors, you know, if you give us $100,000 to put towards this asset, I think it was about 117,000 of depreciation they were getting back more than what they were putting into the project because they were leveraging it with debt. And so it's like you said, you're oftentimes with the tax law, the way it is now, you're oftentimes getting your down payment back or a good portion of it back by doing the cost segregation. That's what I like about this technique is because there's a lot of nuances. For example, before we started, we were discussing uh, one of my clients who has zero taxable income because he has so much real estate, it wipes him off. He's like his own Trump. Uh, $30 million in real estate, but 
I brought up the fact that you still may want to do a cost seg. And he said, well, why? I'm just going to create more deductions that I can't use. But then you and I were talking about, yeah, but as I told him, when you sell that one of those properties, like you said, you're going to sell in the future. If you're carrying forward $300,000 in losses, when you sell that property, if you have $300,000 in gain, tax-free, right? Yep. Yep. It unlocks that that um, carry forward loss that you've got. It'll unlock up to the amount of the gain and can be used to offset those capital gains taxes. Yeah. It's like doing a 1031 then. So it's kind of like, why wouldn't you do this? <laughs> Yeah. That's a great question. There's not a lot of reasons why you wouldn't. One of the reasons is if you are in a passive loss issue where you're not a real estate professional or you've got a huge carry forward that you've already got, then it doesn't make sense, obviously, to do a cost segregation study. But other than that, I can't think of a reason why you wouldn't want your deduction now, especially you think about Clint, you think about inflation. Like, give me my dollar today. My dollar today is worth more than a dollar tomorrow with the current rate of inflation, right? Give me my, yeah. let alone 27 and a half years from now. So give me my deductions today, as opposed to letting the IRS hold on to those. Your dollar on January 1st was worth more than it is today. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, one of the things that really intrigued me when you and I were talking last week was that partial asset disposition. And I mean, that, that, I don't know, PAD, maybe the acronym for it. Can you explain that? Because when I started talking to some of my clients about this, I mean, their eyes just got this big around and they were just shocked to hear how they could really accelerate their deductions when they're buying a property that they intend to do some rehab work on. Yeah. Yeah. So the partial asset dispositions, especially for like, you think about multifamily where you're constantly updating carpet or countertops. But basically what it is, is when you dispose of that. So when you do a cost segregation study, we're going to put all those different assets. We're going to line item all those different assets. When you dispose of your countertops, for example, and you've only had them for three years, but they're a five-year asset, you have remaining book value that you can write off in the current year as an expense. You're basically telling the IRS, hey, I'm retiring this asset and it has zero value now. And so you get to write that off as an expense and then you take the cost of your new countertops and you add that as a line item, you know, it'll say leasehold improvements, what have you, add that as a line item on your depreciation schedule. But if you don't do cost segregation, it's really hard to pull those things out that you dispose of. You know, oftentimes the big ones are like, for example, roof, a roof. Mm -hmm. When we do a cost seg study, we put a value to that roof. Well, you may not have the roof for the full life of the asset. You know, we replace our roofs quite often. So when you place the roof, there's still a remaining book value that you get to write off as an expense in the current year. And that's a that's a big deduction. You get to write that off, no recapture, and then you start depreciating your new roof starting that day that you put the new roof on. But we see depreciation schedules all the time, Clint, where they just have building. And then underneath that, it says roof, 100,000, improvements, 200,000. Well, in that building, you're still depreciating the old roof. The old roof's gone. It's disposed of. So you should write that off as an expense. It's an, it's an added benefit of having the cost segregation study done is having these things line item so that when you dispose of them, you can write them off and take advantage of those deductions. Well, not only do you get to write that off, you also get to write off the cost of the demolition of that asset as well, right. is what I understand. Yeah, correct. Okay. So say I didn't know about this. And last year, I did some of this work. I bought a, a property. And I realized I needed to put on a new roof and I remodeled the kitchen, took out all the cabinets and the countertops and my CPA didn't do it. Can I go back and capture this? 
So on the partial asset disposition, you probably can't. Um, it's a little mm. bit harder. It has to be disposed of, or excuse me, it has to be expensed in the year that you dispose it. Okay. And so if you disposed it last year and you didn't expense it last year, it's going to be hard to go back and take advantage of that. You definitely could go back and still do the cost segregation, but the partial asset disposition is a little trickier in previous years. Okay. So what I should be then looking at is if, I, if I'm buying a, say I bought a house, it's, a, it's 18 years old, and, and I know that I'm going to have to rehab it, get rid of the roof and stuff like that. So if I've only owned it for three months, I go in, I start doing this work. Does that qualify? Yeah. The, the big thing for the partial asset disposition is putting it into service. So we always recommend do your, if you in that situation, buy the asset, you may already have tenants in there when you bought it, let their lease run up. Once they're out, those three months that they were in there, the, the property was in service. You were using it for its intended use or purpose. So you get to depreciate the old cabinets that were in there. We put a value to those. Three months later, when their lease is up, they get they get they leave. You put the new cabinets in. You write off the remaining basis of the old cabinets, and then you get to do cost segregation or accelerated depreciation on the new cabinets. You're kind of getting two sets of cabinets um, by putting that building into service. Now, if you buy it and it's vacant, and then you go in put in new cabinets, then no, that doesn't work. But always try to get the asset into service before your renovations and have a cost sake study done, in order to maximize those deductions. Okay, so. I'm curious as to how what you how you uh, interpret in service. So the way I interpret in service is that I've listed that property for rent. Yeah. And as long as I can show that I'm actively trying to rent out the property, even though I don't have anyone in the property, that's in service. And I determine that no one wants to rent my property because it's got problems. Then right. I go in to do it. Would that not? Would you say that would qualify? Would you feel comfortable there? I would feel comfortable there. Yeah. We see all different types. It's kind of a gray area that all CPAs kind of have their own interpretation of that law. Yep. My understanding of the law is it's available for its intended use or purpose. So it doesn't mean you have to have renters in there. If it's available for rent, but you just can't rent it out, you've listed it. You've got people out there trying to find renters, but you can't. I would agree with you that that is, is technically in service. Yeah. And you just got to be able to back it up and show if you were audited that yes, you were trying to rent it. And it has to, so I had one person come to me, and they said, well, I don't want anybody to come in there. It's going to screw up my remodel. So I'm going to list this property for $18,000 a month. And the right. average rental is $1,500 in that area. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to fly. The IRS is always looking at what is your intent. And right. if you can back up that intent with documentation, you show that you had it listed, you know, you had a listing agent or something along those lines, I think you're fine. But yeah, it has to be within reason, I should say. <laughs> Absolutely. So are, is there any problems when it comes to holding properties in LLCs and going through a cost seg? No, not at all. So the entity structure doesn't affect the cost seg one bit. So we do the cost segregation study at the entity level. Mm -hmm. And then typically, if you've got partners, it'll all flow through the K-1s onto your personal tax return. And so it, the, entity does, the entity structure doesn't affect the cost seg. How many of these do you do a year? Um, we do a couple thousand every year. Um, we stay busy. So we, we do work in all 50 states. Um, so we're, we're traveling quite a bit, but um, it's, it's the tax law really put the, like I mentioned earlier, they put this stuff on steroids. And so if you're paying taxes and you own real estate, you should definitely have a cost state company look at, you know, most cost state companies will do a free benefit analysis where they look at your property and say, Hey, we expect to get you this much additional deduction. Here's what our fee would be. You know, do you want to do it before you ever engage? But um, if you're paying taxes, definitely, and you own real estate, definitely look at, at possibly getting some cost segregation work done because it's a huge, huge deduction that's available to you if you're aware of it and take advantage of it. And 
you were talking about the bonus depreciation earlier. I mean, this is an opportunity for you to compress all that down and take it in year one, but there's a time frame on that, is there not? Yeah, there is. So the bonus depreciation right now, it's 100%. And, and what that means, Clint, for, for the, the viewers is basically those five, seven, and 15-year assets, instead of depreciating my landscaping over 15 years, I get to take 100% of that in year one, which is just crazy. So you're taking your five, seven, and 15% your ass, assets all in year one. Now, the 100% bonus does phase out at the end of next year. So you have to, any properties purchased after December 31st of 2022 are no longer eligible for 100% bonus. Under the current law, they are still eligible for 80% bonus. And then it phases out 20% every year until it's down to zero. So there is definitely a, a time crunch on this. Like I said, the properties have, in order to be eligible for bonus, you have to be, have to have purchased your properties between September 27th of 2017 and December 31st of 2022, and then you're eligible for 100% bonus. And, and if you purchased them in 2016, you can still do a cost seg, you can still pick up the deductions, you just don't get the bonus. But I, you know, with what's going on with the Senate Finance Committee, with the current administration and the House, the way it sits, these things could be taken away from us. And that is why I've been telling my clients, hey, you ought to seriously consider taking advantage of this while there's that opportunity. Stack up those losses this year, carry them forwards, because they may not be available next year or the year after if they go in and they try to tinker with this and change it. Would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. So, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty with the current political climate in terms of, of taxes, especially those that affect real estate investors. And so take advantage of these deductions while they're available, you know, get them, like you said, on the books, you never lose them. So if you end up not using them this year, or you can't absorb those deductions this year, they carry forward indefinitely. And so cost segregation is one of the few things that you can be really strategic about in terms of when you utilize those deductions. A lot of deductions you have to use the year that the expense occurs, but cost segregation, you kind of keep these in your back pocket and just use them as needed um, to offset those high income years. Yeah. I would suggest people do it because, you know, there's such a distaste for Trump out there and hate for the man. They figure, oh, he's going to benefit from these things. We can't let him have anything now right. that he's out of office. So um, <laughs> they probably want to get rid of it all. So anyways, I would seriously consider it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, hey, I'm going to put uh, a link in the show notes for anyone who's uh, interested in this, where they can contact you all and look at preparing a cost seg on the properties. You guys will do an evaluation before you go through all that, correct? Yeah. Yeah, we absolutely. We don't want to engage anybody if they're not going to save significant tax dollars. So we'll run an initial benefit analysis, give you an idea of your potential tax savings, let you know what our fee would be to do the study. And then um, you can work with your CPA from that point to determine if it makes sense or not. And we're happy to jump on a call with your CPA to walk through it. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's great. I know I have several clients that after you guys, they worked with you, they came back to me and said, Clint, this was the best thing. I wish I would have known about this earlier. So, hey, thanks for taking the time. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the time. All right, Take thanks, care. Clint. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast. And if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.